Welcome to the new episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Show is hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. And we are now in our fourth season, Haunted New Orleans. If you're tuning into the podcast for the first time, we suggest you start listening to the Haunted New Orleans seasons with episode 53, which is where this season begins and where we set the stage for the many dark tales ahead. In each episode of the season, we'll be revealing the history, mystery, spirits, scandals, and sins of New Orleans, a city we believe is the most haunted in America. So grab a shovel, head down to the boneyard, and get ready for the next episode of Haunted New Orleans. In this episode, we're going to talk about a subject that many of our listeners have been waiting for, and a state of being that none of us can avoid, death. Specifically, death in New Orleans. There are 38 cemeteries in New Orleans, so there's no way that we can get to all of them. Instead, we'll focus on the history of death, burials, and boneyards in the city, and then take a closer look at the cemetery that's most popular among tourists. Of course, just using those two words together, cemetery and tourist, says a lot about what kind of traveler embraces New Orleans. I'm thinking it's a lot like the kind of listener that never misses this podcast. It was Mark Twain who first praised the uniqueness of New Orleans cemeteries. He wrote, Our cities of the dead look just like our cities of the living, long, narrow houses housing multiple generations of the same family with above-ground basements. Mark Twain had always intended to buy a house in New Orleans, but he never did. He died in Reading, Connecticut, and his funeral was held in a boring Presbyterian church in Manhattan. My guess is that he would have preferred a send-off by second line in New Orleans instead of the dignified snorefest that he got in New York. But we should get on with the story. The graveyards in New Orleans are much like the city itself. They're a mirror to the greatness and the decay of the city. They are beautiful and in ruin at the same time. And like the city, they hold many secrets. New Orleans is the most unique city in America. Its way of death is the most distinctive part of its culture. For more than 200 years, people of New Orleans have housed their dead in small above-ground tombs. They're built along streets in miniature cities of the gone and the forgotten. These cities of the dead provide hours of discovery for the intrepid tourist and sometimes for the brave of heart. New Orleans is a city that is known death. Just a few short years after the colony was founded, it was flattened by a hurricane, bringing ruin and destruction. Fire, epidemics, and hardship claimed more lives, and there was always a need for a way to dispose of the dead. The city was, and continues to be, wet. The water table is located just below the soil. The colonists searched for higher ground and found it along the banks of the Mississippi. But during the frequent floods, the bodies of the dead would wash out of their muddy graves and come floating through the streets of town. The first public cemetery in New Orleans was created on St. Peter Street in 1721. It was officially outside the town limits at the time. This was not done for aesthetic reasons, but for health. It was commonly believed that graveyards exuded a noxious odor that carried disease. They didn't, but it seemed like a good idea in a town that had already seen more than its fair share of epidemics. Those early burials were all above ground. Spaces were reserved for the clergy and the wealthy and distinguished of the city, but it was a shabby and dirty place that only operated until 1788. 
It was closed, but not because of the bodies that kept popping up out of the ground, but because this was the year of the Great Fire that burned down most of the city and killed more than 1,200 people. The St. Peter's Cemetery couldn't handle the overflow of bodies, so they had to be taken and buried in the Cypress Swamp that's now located where Basin Street exists between Conti and St. Louis Streets. St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 took its place. The new cemetery was a walled enclosure with its main entrance off Rampart Street. The poor were buried in unmarked graves until the middle 1800s, and as available space filled, the level of soil began to sink. Contracts for dirt were frequently bid upon, and city chain gangs shoveled it evenly throughout the graveyard, making room for more bodies. It's believed that beneath the grounds of the cemetery, there are layers of bones several feet thick. For all but the indigent, though, above-ground tombs were the rule. There were several reasons for this, not the least of which was the wet soil. As graves were dug, they often filled with water. Coffins floated out of the holes despite gravediggers placing heavy stones or bricks on the lids. Such conditions made funerals a somewhat terrifying affair. Caskets were often lowered into gurgling pools of water and oozing mud. As often as not, the coffin would capsize as the water began to leak in, causing newly buried and half-decomposed cadavers to float to the surface of the grave. To the horror of those attending the funeral, of course. Another reason for the above-ground tombs was fashion, of all things. During this same period, back home in Paris, the French were creating the first garden cemeteries outside of the city. Père Lachaise Cemetery was the first city of the dead, with above-ground mausoleums and tombs with space for multiple bodies in the same small stone house. It became the final resting place of France's most famous citizens, and the style spread to other places, including New Orleans. And then, of course, there's the Catholic Church, which helped spread the stories of the dead people popping up out of the ground every time it rained. They used the stories as a sales pitch to guilt their parishioners into buying the more expensive above-ground tombs that were owned, sold by, and filled the pockets of the New Orleans Archdiocese. The burial plots in the cemetery were sold to families and constructed tombs to suit their purposes on the land. Most of the tombs had two vaults, and the top vault is used first. By law, you could only entour two fresh bodies at a time. After that, you were cut off. Once occupied, the burial houses were sealed and had to remain sealed for one year and one day. This was a rule that came along during the days of the yellow fever epidemics in New Orleans when it was worried, incorrectly, that the disease could be caught from a dead body. The real advantage to the year and a day rule is that the body would be inside the tomb over an entire New Orleans summer. When it's 110 degrees outside on a hot August day, it's well above 300 degrees inside the tomb. The body is cooked and naturally cremated. At the end of the 366 days, the vault is open and the remains are moved into the caveau, a chamber in the tomb's foundation to make room for the next occupant. If more than two members of your family died during that 366 days, well, they were out of luck. The law prohibits the tomb from being opened, but there's an option available in the cemetery wall. Each cemetery is outfitted with dozens of vaults that look like brick pizza ovens. They're rental properties for when a family member dies while the tomb is still sealed. They can be used for 366 days and then they're scooped out and bagged, making room for the more recently dead to fill the spots. If you failed to pay the rent on the oven vault though, you'd get evicted. 
just like when you don't pay your rent on a living space. A cemetery employee would use a long pole to push the remains to the back of the oven, where an opening in the floor allowed them to be dumped to the bottom of the vault and mixed with the ashes of other people who didn't pay their rent over the years. The use of this long instrument to do this may be where the phrase of not touching something with a 10-foot pole got started. Well, as you can see, not having money could be an issue when it came to your funeral. So many in New Orleans started to build monuments that were dedicated to an association or a group rather than just a family. Many poor immigrants could not afford funeral expenses or a personal tomb. So benevolent societies formed in New Orleans, allowing members to pool their money and build society vaults in the city's cemetery. The tallest monument in St. Louis Cemetery Number no. 1 is the Italian Mutual Benevolent Society tomb. It has space for more than 1,000 remains. Many film buffs will recognize it as the background in the LSD trip scene from Easy Rider, where Peter Fonda climbed all over the monument and Dennis Hopper allegedly tore the head off one of the statues. By the way, that scene was filmed there without permission from the Archdiocese, which led to a permanent ban on all Hollywood productions in the cemetery. At the end of Canal Street, where New Orleans becomes Metairie, are the Cypress Grove and Greenwood cemeteries, both built by firemen's charities and benevolent societies. It was founded in 1834 to arrange burials to help the families of nearly impoverished all-volunteer firemen who lost their lives in the line of duty. There's also a Police Mutual Benevolence Association, a Confederate monument, and the Benevolent and Protective Order of the Elks. And while the societies to help bury European immigrants are largely a thing of the past, another New Orleans custom continues today, the Second Line. The origins of the Second Line procession come from West Africa. During a traditional African circle dance, adults formed the inner circle and children assembled all around the outside. In the New Orleans style, the family of the deceased forms the first line. The second line are the friends and more distant relatives with lots of room for people who didn't even know the deceased but just want to join the party. Brass bands accompany the funeral party from the church to the gravesite, playing traditional slow spiritual hymns like Just a Closer Walk with Thee and Amazing Grace. Leaving the cemetery, though, the tunes become lively and upbeat. Handkerchiefs that had been used for tears become waving flags, and everyone dances to the second-line songs that are a celebration of the life that was. African music and burial traditions took hold in New Orleans mostly because the French and Spanish allowed the slaves to keep their traditions and express their music and dance heritage every Sunday, the slaves' one free day from work in Congo Square. The tradition of the second line grew out of this. Historically, second lines occurred in predominantly African-American communities like Treme, but today they can be found pretty much all over the city and not just for funerals. There are second line staged for weddings and even for store openings. Call me a traditionalist, but I think second line parades should only be used in the way they were intended, to bury the dead and celebrate the way they live their life. I love cemeteries. I love the artwork, the symbols, the atmosphere, and especially the history. Many people laugh when we talk about the most popular cemetery for tourists, but these are special kinds of tourists who understand that graveyards are not just for those with a gruesome or macabre frame of mind. 
Of course, it helps to have those, but still. Many understand that visiting the dead is a way of reliving the history of a place. Most of the famous people in New Orleans can only be found in the cemetery. That's the only way we now have of paying them the respect they deserve. St. Louis Cemetery Number 2 is now home to Dominic Yu, a lieutenant of Pirate Jean Lafitte, and New Orleans Mayor Nicholas Garreau, who once famously offered his home to Napoleon Bonaparte to live in New Orleans in exile. Musicians Earl King and Ernie K. Doe, most famous for the song Mother-in-Law, are buried here. Ernie was supposed to be buried in a family plot outside the city, but his wife Antoinette stepped in saying, quote, if you're from New Orleans, you want to be buried in New Orleans. St. Louis Cemetery Number 3 has a chef's corner with adjacent family tombs that belong to the restaurant families of Prudhomme, Galatori, and others. E.J. Balok is also buried here, the weird loner and photographer who became famous after death for his private collection of the prostitutes who worked in Storyville. If you haven't seen these photos, seek them out. They're a time capsule of the heyday of one of New Orleans' most notorious spots. Holt Cemetery was originally a potter's field, holding the remains of those who couldn't afford to pay for a burial. Somewhere on the grounds is the final resting place of Buddy Bolden, the man who invented jazz. He became a victim of acute alcohol psychosis and spent the last 24 years of his life in an asylum. When the most important man in the history of New Orleans music died, he was buried here, but no one knows where. His grave is unmarked. Mahalia Jackson, the undisputed queen of gospel, is buried at Providence Memorial Park. Some charred bits of Cecil Ingram Connor III are in a grave at Garden of Memories Cemetery. You might know him better by his professional name of Graham Parsons. A pivotal member in such bands as the Birds and the Flying Burrito Brothers, he died at the age of 26 from an overdose of alcohol and morphine. His stepfather overruled his wish to be cremated at California's Joshua Tree National Park, and his body was on its way to New Orleans when it was intercepted by some pals who drove his coffin to Joshua Tree, doused it in gasoline, and set it on fire. The resulting fireball alerted the police and led to a high-speed chase and a $700 fine with no jail time. What was left of Graham was buried in New Orleans. Mount Olivet Cemetery holds the remains of Henry Roland Byrd, who was better known as Professor Longhair, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame member who's also known as the Picasso of keyboard funk. Metairie Cemetery is one of the most beautiful in the city. It's on the site of a former country club and racetrack that was a favorite of the wealthy elite. The club refused to allow Charles Howard to become a member because he was new money and worse, a Yankee, so he vowed that he would one day buy the club and turn it into a graveyard. When money was tied after the Civil War, the people who supported the club fell on hard times and it was eventually put up for auction. Charles Howard kept his promise. The cemetery has since become the final resting place to 11 Louisiana governors, nine New Orleans mayors, dozens of Confederate officers, and an area called Millionaire's Row, thanks to the price of the real estate in that part of the cemetery. Attorney Ray Brandt paid over a million dollars for an eight-crypt mausoleum for his family there and shrugged it off. I guess it's the last house I'll buy, he said. Among the notables in the cemetery is Josie Arlington, the bordello owner that we talked about in a recent episode, as well as General Pierre Gustave Beauregard, who once owned a famous French Quarter haunted house. There are also musicians here like jazz trumpeter Al Hurt and Louis Prima, who gained fame with songs like Jump, Jive, and Whale. 
There are also important names in the New Orleans food world, like Ruth Fertel, who put the name Ruth on Ruth Chris Steakhouse in 1927, and Al Copeland, the Popeye's Chicken King. Owen Brennan also rests here. He's the patriarch of New Orleans restaurants, and there are now 10 Brennan's restaurants operated by his heirs in the city. Brennan was a larger-than-life character who started his first restaurant after the owner of Arnaud's made a snarky comment that an Irishman wouldn't be able to run anything better than a hamburger joint. Jim Harrison, the district attorney who helped create the conspiracy theories about the death of JFK, is also buried here. And so is Stan Rice, the artist-poet-husband of author Anne Rice, who will also be interred here eventually. Our journey through New Orleans cemeteries eventually brings us back around to where we began, at St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. This cemetery is also home to many names from the city's past, and of course it's also the future resting place of Nicolas Cage, who will someday be interred in an oversized and gaudy Egyptian pyramid that's usually covered in lipstick prints left by adoring female fans. Among the crypts, you'll also find the monument of New Orleans' first black mayor, civil rights activist, Ernest Dutch Morial. He was buried here for years, and while the monument in his honor remains, his body was recently moved to St. Louis Cemetery No. 2. Benjamin Latrobe, the man called the father of American architecture, is buried here. He's most famous for designing the Capitol Building in Washington, D.C., and in New Orleans, he completed the tower of the St. Louis Cathedral and the U.S. Customs Building, before dying from yellow fever. Homer Plessy is also interred here. He was Rosa Parks more than 50 years before Rosa Parks. He was of mixed race, which made him all African-American in the eyes of the law. He purposely sat in a whites-only railroad car intending to be arrested. Plessy took his case all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. In May 1896, the court issued its infamous separate but equal ruling that basically legalized segregation, the Jim Crow laws, in America for decades to come. The cemetery's Protestant section also holds the remains of many of the city's well-known residents. After the Louisiana Purchase, Americans flooded into the city and many of them eventually needed a place to be buried. That place is now the low-rent section of St. Louis Cemetery No. 1, a section without vaults in the far back left corner. The newly arrived Protestants had no interest in being buried above ground, even though this part of the cemetery is below sea level. Because of this, you can see the double layers of brick and large slabs that have been designed to hold the waterlogged coffins below the surface. Legend has it in the 1800s, visitors to this section of the cemetery often reported the sounds of coffins knocking and thumping against the tops of the below-ground tombs. Later, many of these bodies were moved to other parts of the city, like the first Protestant cemetery on Garot Street, which was started in 1822 and then closed in 1957. All of the bodies were supposed to be moved out at that time, but well, <laughs> we know how that goes. The Superdome now stands atop these old burial grounds, and some football fans that suffered through the first 43 seasons with the Saints claim they were so terrible because they were playing on an old cemetery. One of the notables allegedly buried in the Protestant section of the cemetery is William C.C. C. Claiborne, the first American governor of Louisiana, once the arch enemy of pirate Jean Lafitte, and later, 
well, his friend. We'll say friend, that's loose, but friend. As an American, Claiborne wasn't a popular politician with the local Creole merchants and families, so after his first wife died, he remarried a Creole woman named Clarice Durand, hoping to win some favor. After only two years of marriage, though, Clarice died. When Claiborne died, he was not permitted to be placed in a tomb with his wife because he was not a Catholic. He was buried in the Protestant section instead, but is he still there? Well, who knows? There is a Claiborne family vault at Metairie Cemetery. His remains may have been moved there, or they might be mixed in with the bodies that were taken to Gros Cemetery. No one really knows. One thing that we do know, of course, is that St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 is the final resting place of voodoo queen Marie Laveau. Or do we? Yeah, we covered that in the last episode. But let's say that it's generally accepted that Marie is entombed here. It's the most often visited tomb in the cemetery. Thousands of people come here every week and leave offerings behind, hoping for good luck. Marie's ghost has been seen many times in the cemetery, as detailed in the last episode, along with the ghost of Zombie. Marie's large black pet snake. Legends say that she has sometimes been seen walking the cemetery's narrow paths. One man even claimed to have been slapped by her spirit after making a disparaging mark at her tomb. Bad things happen when you cross Marie Laveau. In late 2013, someone climbed over the cemetery wall at night and painted Marie's famous vault with pink latex paint. Latex paint, which traps in moisture and doesn't breathe, can ruin brick and mortar tombs. It required months of work and over $10,000 to repair. I don't know for sure if anything bad happened to this person, but I have to say, I hope it did. But Marie's ghost is not the only spirit believed to haunt the cemetery. One resident spirit is said to be that of Henry Vignet, a sailor who lived in the 19th century who roamed all over the world in his work. The closest place he had to a home was a New Orleans boarding house where he stored his personal belongings that he didn't carry with him and all his private papers, including the title to his plot at St. Louis Cemetery No. 1. He left his papers in the care of the boarding house's proprietor in case anything ever happened to him at sea. But once when Henry was away for an extended time, the proprietor sold his plot in the cemetery to the highest bidder. When Henry returned, he was never able to remedy the situation, and when he later fell ill and died, he had no place to be buried. His remains were sent to a potter's field, but his spirit remains in St. Louis Cemetery No. 1. He still walks there today. Visitors sometimes claim they have encountered a thin, pale man with blue eyes who asks them if they know where the Vignet tomb is located. Another lingering spirit is said to be that of a man named Alphonse. Legend has it that he was murdered, but no one knows for sure, and there are no clues as to his identity, other than when visitors get too close to the Penier family tomb, they're told to stay away. Aside from that, Alphonse is not threatening. Instead, he's been known to stop visitors on the narrow paths between the tombs, take them by the hand, and ask them to take him home with them. The ghost of Paul Morphy has also been encountered in the graveyard. Morphy was the greatest chess player in the world in his day. He became the international chess champion at age 19, but got bored traveling to Europe and Russia and winning every match. He returned to New Orleans in 1859 and retired at the age of 23. He planned to become a lawyer, but instead mostly lounged around his family's home on Royal Street for the rest of his life. At some point, Morphy started living in his own reality. He feared being poisoned, would only eat food prepared by his mother and sister. He also claimed he was being watched, while at the same time following women around the city and spying on them as a voyeur. In the late 1870s, he ran through the streets of the French Quarter one night completely naked and waving an axe, threatening to kill anyone who tried to stop him. 
Morphy was found dead in his bathtub in 1884. He was only 43. The official cause of death was cardiac arrest. Some say from jumping into a cold bath on a very hot day, but the official report made no mention of the collection of ladies' shoes that encircled his bathtub. And a haunted cemetery would not be complete without a classic graveyard tale. It's said that in the 1930s, New Orleans taxi drivers avoided St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 whenever possible. If they did drive past, they allegedly refused to pick up any young woman in white who hailed them from the graveyard's entrance. Rumor had it that one driver had picked up such a girl one night and drove her to the address that she gave him. Once they arrived, she asked him to go up and ring the bell, then inquire for the man who lived there. The man came out, but when the driver told him of the girl waiting in the cab, he immediately asked for her description. When the driver told him what the girl looked like, the man shook his head sadly. This was obviously not the first time that a driver had appeared on his doorstep. The young girl, he explained to the taxi driver, was his wife, but she died many years ago and had been interred wearing her bridal gown at St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. That was when the driver suddenly realized the white dress the woman had been wearing was a wedding gown. He raced back to the cab, jerked open the door, but the woman was gone. The driver fainted on the spot. After that, young women in white stood little chance of hailing a cab near the entrance to St. Louis Cemetery number one. I feel like I set this up every time and every time I have to like relearn how to do it. <laughs> well, we're not used to it still. I know. We're getting there. We've only had it since December, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, technically we've only used it a half dozen times. True. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. You ready? Mm-hmm. Yep. Here we go. I'm ready. Thanks for tuning hey, in. I'm ready. Let's go. Thanks for tuning into the American Hauntings Podcast, a show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. We are now in the middle of season four of the podcast. <laughs> Since I lectured you last time about saying deep. Haunted New Orleans. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and that other voice you hear already <laughs> is author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Yeah, I had a hard time to, with, you know, not speaking. Sorry. Yes, you do that. I will try and calm down. People, oh, bit. I can just imagine so, the comments now. You're interrupting him. Now I'm, at the very <laughs> now, now I'm interrupting not only the the epilogue, but the prologue as well. Yes, so, all the um, logs, man. Sorry. Uh, what's going on? You're seeing Invisible Man tomorrow. I am. Are you excited? Am, we should mention that it is February 29th, is it, so yeah, we will not record again on this day for another four years. That's, so, oh, yeah, hey, yeah. cool. But um, yeah, that's my plan. So, But I saw, I know we're not we're not getting to anything that we've got on right. our list, yep. but let me just mention this. And by the time people hear it at the end of March, when this episode finally comes out, um, I saw what has become my favorite horror film of the year. I know what you're going to, oh wait, of the year. Of the year so far. 
Is it the Lodge? No, it's. Oh, I wish. Oh, uh, yeah. No one's playing that anywhere. Near it was me. at the Tivoli or High Point for like yeah, two days. Yeah, it was. Nobody's playing it near me, but I really want to see it. But it's called After Midnight. Hmm, I gotta watch heard of it. this. It is. Um, it it came out. I'm gonna guess it came out straight to uh, streaming, mm-hmm. but. Um, it's, I can't even, it's really hard for me to describe exactly what it's about without me either a giving too much away or by just it not sounding like anything you want to see, but trust me, you, you, you really got to see it. Uh, it's on Amazon. You can buy it. It's okay. like 10 bucks or mm-hmm. something. Um, but it's, um, about this guy, this, this couple that have moved into this old house and they're going to fix it up. And they have like this, you know, really great relationship. It's it's funny. There's a lot of humor in it. Mm-hmm. And then she just leaves one day and just like disappears. And he can't get a hold of her. Her calls go to voicemail and things. And as soon as she leaves each night out of the like swampy woods around where they live, this monster keeps coming, trying to get into the house. Hmm. Now he can't, he doesn't see it, but it's the doors all scratched up. He's got the doors barricaded and it's kind of told back and forth flashback wise, as far as timeline sure. goes. And, um, that's all I want to say. Okay. Um, but it is a, it is a monster film where we don't see the monster for most of it, mm-hmm. but it is, uh, I mean, it couldn't probably couldn't have cost a whole lot to make, but I'm telling you, this is my favorite horror film of the year nice. so far. I really loved this movie. Okay. And um, I've seen a few dogs yeah. already. Yeah. Um, let me just say two words, Fantasy Island. Oh, is it? Uh, oh, I God. didn't have high hopes. I, um, well, you know, I did because really? I used to like that show when I was a kid. But it's, it was, it's not a scary show though, right? No, or was it? Well, actually, if you go back and watch it now, you, yeah. you, you're surprised at how screwed up that that show okay. actually was. Okay. But they tried to make it like a horror version mm-hmm. of Fantasy Island. More horror, actually, because like I said, go back yeah, and yeah. watch the original. It's, it's got up. some messed up stuff in it, but um, it just didn't work for me. Okay. Uh, it's... Um, it's it really, it's not the actors. It's not the design. It's everything looks great. There's a, I, I thought I was, everything was going to be great when they're riding in the elevator and the elevator music is the theme to the old show. Sure. And I thought this is going to be great, right. you know? And instead it just sort of falls apart. It's uh, just, it's bad writing. It's yeah. just bad writing. It, it falls back on all these tropes that mm-hmm. we've seen a million times before. And I can't recommend it. How's um, Michael Pena? I love he's him. He's great. That's the thing that, the actors and stuff are great. It's just, they had nothing good to work with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's, it was disappointing. That yeah. was my disappointment of the year. I've seen, you know, I've seen some okay stuff. I really liked uh, Gretel and Hansel. That was a beautiful film. I, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I really liked it. it. I gave it high marks. Um, it was my favorite of the year so far until after midnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to see Invisible Man this weekend. I'm looking forward to Antlers, which will be coming yes, next month. Antlers. And so, and I, I still want to see The Lodge. And I finally saw the trailer to Candyman. Yes. Which is not a remake. It is a sequel. It's a continuation, yeah. It is a continuation, but it's like 30 years later mm-hmm. and things are slightly different. Somebody told me the main character is the baby. What? That's what someone told me is that the main character in the mm. new Candyman is the baby from the first one. Now, I don't know yeah. if that's accurate, but you remember there was yeah. a baby. Yeah, I, you know? I actually, I guess that would make sense. I mean, if it, they time-wise, wise, it would make sense, yeah. but um, they the trailer is great and they mm-hmm. don't show... Candyman much, but it's my understanding is that it's Tony Todd. It's the same guy. Yeah, it's the same guy. So that should be fantastic. Sure. And I've heard that they, that 
while I'm not sure she, I know she's not in it, uh, Virginia Madsen's not in it, but I think the character of Helen Lyle is connected to it somehow. Okay. Because you remember what happens with her at the yeah. end of the original. And, you know, I saw somebody had posted something about, you know, Candyman and said, um, now I've only said that twice, right? I don't want to say it yeah, five you times. Got, yeah, I got three more, yeah. And that, um, oh, you know, I'm, it's too bad it's Jordan Peele. That means it'll be real political. Oh, um, have off. you not seen the original? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's super political. Right. I mean, it's what it's yeah. about, you know? Um, so I'm really excited about that. It doesn't even come out till June, man. I don't know. Oh, don't it's that, that, that far out? Yeah, it's pretty. It's quite a ways out. But uh, I'm really glad we got the trailer, though, because the trailer's fantastic. Yeah, I wasn't expecting so, it either. It was I wasn't either. Yeah, it just all of a sudden came out of nowhere. So and, anyway, yeah. there's our horror film minute well, for uh, the podcast. Can we extend but, it just a little yeah, bit? Oh, absolutely. Color out of space? Oh, God. Oh, was God. It, Burning it, garbage. Really? That is the worst. That is the worst film I've seen since Mandy. And Damn. that's and it's not even Nicolas Cage's fault. Yeah. This this. It's really not his fault. It, this movie is a train wreck. Really? I, I just, uh, I don't understand how people could, well, we didn't understand how people could love Mandy. Yes. Well, I don't understand how anyone could love this. Do people love it? I haven't. Listen, I'm sorry. I lived through bad for, horror films in the 80s mm-hmm. and we'll do, be doing some horror film stuff in the 80s yes. for Halloween this year, but... And it wasn't all bad, but this is like the worst stuff of the eighties oh, all in one man. film. I mean, it's just, I, I, I just hated it. Yeah. I just hated it. I, I sat and I watched the entire thing because I didn't feel that I could judge it. Um, I gave it one star in my book. Damn. Yeah. In my log that I'm keeping yeah. for this year. And I gave it one star. Ouch. It was horrible. I just, I really really hated this movie. Damn. All right. Well, I'm I not, just, I'm not even going to check I'm it sorry. out. I'm sorry. I mean, I feel kind of bad saying I hate it because I tried to give it a chance. I mean, I like Lovecraft stuff and yeah. the concept was okay. It oh, just so it's a Lovecraftian kind of thing? Yeah. It just, yeah, it's a, it's a story. It's a Lovecraft story oh, that okay. they've adapted for modern times. But I just, man, I mean, it really just went off the rails for me. And yeah. I sent you a message and told you I was watching it. And then you asked me how it was. And I said, it was a, a pile of, of burning garbage. Yes. That was my reply. Yep. And it was awful. You, you, really said, awful. you said that to me while I was about to start the screener for Invisible Man. I loved <laughs> oh, it. Oh, that's right. I yeah. loved Invisible Man. Yeah. No, I, I think I'm going to, too. I'm, I'm so, excited. Yeah, text me tomorrow because I, I will. Know. I will. So, um, I mean, I love Elizabeth Moss and I love Lee Winnell. So, yeah, I'm, I've been excited to see it since I first heard about yeah. it. So, I think it's going to be great. I wasn't on board at first, but by the end of it, loved it. And that's okay, all I'm, that's all I'm gonna say. All right, well, we'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll stop the horror movie talk yeah. now. Um, but uh, we have some things coming up. What's, uh, what's going on? We do. And um, I'm, I'm trying to be cautious about what I talk about because yes. um, I just listened to our last episode, which was our Civil War in New Orleans episode. And everything I talked about um, by the time it aired was sold out. So I'm going to I'm just going to mention something really new that we literally just added a couple of days ago uh, on May 23rd. Uh, one of our evening with events we're going to be doing is going to be on the Watsika Wonder, which is one of my favorite stories about spirit possession that took place in Illinois in 1878. And it's always been one of my favorite stories. I've got a lot of material and including a bunch of new material about that story that uh, I'm excited to get to present at one of these dinners. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we did uh, the 
Bell Witch. And that's a story that, man, I started writing about that like back in the mid 90s. Yeah, you love the Bell Witch. And um, that was probably one of the most fun evening with events that I've ever done. Awesome. A good crowd. And it's a fun story to tell. And this is too. And so I think that uh, I think people will really enjoy it. So please you know, come out. We, we'd love to see you. Uh, I love doing these events and the more of them I can do, the, the, you know, the, the more I'll keep doing them yeah. because they are a lot of fun. Uh, so we, and we have others coming up so you can check it out on AmericanHauntings.net. That's where you can get tickets for all that stuff and see what we've got coming up. Um, I'm getting ready to do, uh, by the time you guys hear this, I will have done a pretty major revamp of the website too. So oh, all right. uh, we're going to be changing things up a little bit. So hopefully these will be a little easier to find. Um, I'm also going to mention the Haunted America Conference. I know we talk about it every episode, but um, this past week before we um, recorded this episode, we actually crossed and then have gone over uh, halfway sold out for this year already. Nice. We've got, um, as of this past week, uh, we've got several of the after hour events that are almost full for this year already. Um, tickets technically at this point have been, only been on sale not quite two months and we're over halfway filled already That's awesome. for this year. So we are going to sell out and we really, really, really would love to have more of our podcast family there at the event. Please. We love to see everybody. Um, we love to interact with everybody in person, not just, you know, not just us talking at you and then you sending us messages. Not that we don't appreciate it. We do love it, uh, but we'd love to see you in person. So um, if you're thinking about maybe coming to the conference, please do. Uh, we, we, like I said, we'd love to see you there. Cody will be there um, doing um, recording stuff at mm-hmm. the whole weekend. I'll be there the whole weekend. Lisa will be there. We're going to have a good time. That's it's going to so be a fun. lot of fun. And actually, I think this is our first episode we've recorded since dead of winter too, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah, so. I think it is. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's been a while now, but um, you guys haven't really heard from us since then. Uh, as far as since it's been over, we were going to pretend like right. we've done it right. the yeah, previous episode, yeah, but yeah. Um, we actually had a great time at Dead of Winter mm-hmm. this year. This great was our turnout. biggest one yet. Um, and we're already planning for next year. Next year, we're going to have more chairs. We're going to have a separate vendors room. Um, and it's going to be a, a big, a even bigger event than it was this year. And we did collect um, yeah, a couple of, th- I don't, I don't, they didn't give us, know. no, we didn't give it an exact, but I will tell you that we filled an entire cargo van yeah. floor to ceiling with all of oh, the stuff that was brought. There so was so much It was stuff. several thousand pounds of stuff. Everybody did say that they had uh, boxes and boxes and still not enough boxes to get everything. Mm-hmm. So you guys were, we, I mean, it was great. We, it was really great. Mm-hmm. Everything that was donated this year. It's going to help a lot of people. It is. It did. And well, it did. They took it the very next day. Um, and got it loaded into a food bank. They left the uh, Mineral Springs that night, took it to the food bank, sorted it out that night. Volunteers came in to sort it so that it would be available the following day. Awesome. And they were thrilled. They were really thrilled with everything. So thanks everybody for doing that. We, yeah. we really appreciate it. We love the event. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you've, I'm sure you've heard the uh, the Titanic podcast yes. that we did already. Um, that was a couple weeks ago, I guess, <laughs> yeah. that you probably heard that. So well, hang on just a second. Oh, we have a visitor. I'm going to say it's this. Troy's going to the door. Hi. Hi. How's it going? It's good. Lisa's here. I'm here. How's it going, you guys? So far, so good. We're having fun. Good. Yeah. I'll, I'll just cut out some of the dead air, but it's kind of funny. Just somebody popping by. I feel like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood That's or right. something. How's it going? Pretty good. Yeah. How are you? I'm great. 
We were talking about Dead of Winter and how much stuff we got for the food bank. Oh my gosh, yes, that was awesome. Well, a lot of people ask, and I told them that we didn't have an exact count. Nobody had that, I don't think, or even a weight, but we did fill up a cargo van that was floor to ceiling. So all the way to the front too. The yeah. driver had to push push her chair all the oh, way up okay. to even Good. drive the so the nice, van. even better than I thought. So cool. That's awesome. All right. Um, all right. Well, let's move on then to some listener reviews. This one is from Jamie Baby eighty eight. It's titled Hometown Girl. You just like saying the names of the yeah, thing, don't you? Yeah, okay. it's cringeworthy. I love it. Um, I mean, I've had I've had some in my day. Um, anyway, this is it says hi all. Love the podcast. I'm from a small town about twenty minutes from Decatur, so I've grown up reading haunted Decatur books. I went on a haunted Decatur tour. I'm sorry. Event. In 2007 with <laughs> Troy, and it was a blast. Oh, well, that's good. Then. Except I was like 19 and cried in Greenwood Cemetery because oh, I got scared. <laughs> I did see that. You, you guys have a great dynamic between you, and you make a, you make this show super fun. The audio is so much better. Thank you. Uh, I hope Troy will get back to his roots soon and maybe do a season of Haunted Central Illinois. No. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Thanks for the hours of entertainment. This next one is from... Matzakat? Matzakat? I don't know. Uh, it's just how to love this podcast. It says, heard about American Hauntings on History Goes Bump, so I decided to check it out. Glad I did. The research is amazing. Love how you go from beginning to end and don't drop one subject and then completely go to another. My favorite so far, the New Orleans episode. Would love if you guys would come to California. I'm sure we'll get there one yeah, of these days. Yeah, you want to go to California? Yeah. Uh, this last one is from Katie Cat 1031 It says, I'm a history nerd, so haunted history has always intrigued me. This podcast does a great job of telling both the lore and the haunting. So good to meet you both at the Exorcist evening. Beware the well-placed fire alarms. <laughs> yeah. So for context, we had an evening with the Exorcist. Right. Or, yeah, that, right. that event. And there was an event going on downstairs, and someone pulled the fire alarm. Right. And it was... Oh, it was a it nightmare. was well timed though. Oh, it was perfectly I, it was, timed. Um, well, it was a really good group anyway. The yeah. people that were yeah, there were great. a really great group. And I had just gotten to a point in the story where I said something like, uh, and then uh, you know, he sat up and said to the priests, It's over. He's gone. And as soon as I said it, Fire alarm went off. And everyone jumped. <laughs> I mean, it was just blaring. I mean, it was just this deafening fire alarm. It's like burned into my brain, yeah. that sound. and it went off for a half an hour. Yes. We had to, uh, well, we had to, eva- not, we didn't evacuate the hotel because I said, yeah, there's a, an event going on, and mm-hmm. I was pretty sure that someone had pulled it, but we had to leave the room where the dinner was because it was just echoing in there. It was, was so bad. So it took about a half hour to get it turned off, but then everybody came right back in and sat back down, and we just kept right on going. It so up. yeah, it was, it was a fun group, but... Um, yeah, I think that there'll be people talking about that for a while. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad everybody stuck it out. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. Absolutely. That was nice. It was fun. Uh, so yeah, thank you. Thank you for the, the comments and the reviews. We appreciate it. Uh, you want to talk about death? Yeah, let's do. Let's talk about death yeah, in New Orleans. Let's there, do. You said there are 38 cemeteries in New Orleans. That seems excessive, but I, well, they had a need been for there it. a long time. It, yes, so. they had a need for it. Also, um, morbidly curious, morbid curious. I'm going to make it a T-shirt. We got to do yeah, that. Yeah, we got to do I, something. I think I'm just going to do still, that. I actually still have a plan to do something with the morbid curious. Yeah. I just haven't done it. Yet. Okay, well, we can. We'll so, t- let's talk about that. But I'm working later. on that. So. Okay, cool. Uh, so it was Mark Twain who first praised the uniqueness of New Orleans cemeteries. Uh, and he always intended to buy a house in New Orleans, but that didn't end up happening. And you mentioned that the cemeteries said they're a mirror to the greatness and the decay of the city. They're beautiful and in ruin at the same time. I really love that. And I think it really 
defines. I think it's accurate. Yeah. You know, it's, we walk around the French Quarter and you, you know, you can see a building that looks, you know, looks like hell on the outside, you know, crumbling, falling apart. But then you get a glimpse down that, you know, the alleyway between the buildings mm-hmm. and you see this beautiful courtyard kind of right. hidden back there. It's just one of those things that I think that uh, makes the city so unique. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned New Orleans way of death is the most distinctive part of its culture. For more than 200 years, they've housed their dead in above ground tombs because water used to cause dead bodies to float up out of their muddy graves and into <laughs> the streets. This had to be a fucking sight yeah, to see. Yeah, I think so. Well, so a lot of people have written about it. it yeah. It's There's a lot of old newspapers that mention seeing coffins floating down the street or mm-hmm. they talk about going to the cemetery for a burial. Yeah. And, you know, they're, holes full of mud and water and they can't keep the coffins in them. They're putting bricks on top oh, and stuff, trying to weight them down. And then I always like the stories that you would sometimes hear about. They would write newspaper articles or articles about being in the cemetery for a funeral, just a regular funeral at one of the tombs. And they keep hearing this yeah. knocking sound coming from the, you know, the American section of the cemetery bobbing because the coffins are bobbing and hitting the concrete uh, that they've terrible. put on top. And it would, they would, it would knock on the underside because mm-hmm. the water would move. Really ruins a because, funeral. Well, the back, that back section, <laughs> that back section of the cemetery is, well, you saw it when we yeah, were there yeah. and, you know, it's kind of outside the walls because they were Protestants, sure. but they were still, most of them were, you know, people that were well-known people. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, still buried them with honor in the cemetery, yeah, can't sit but with us. they were in the Protestant section, yeah. which was, you know, the, like I said, the low rent section, but yes. But that's actually below sea level, that part of the mm-hmm. cemetery. And so the water table literally is right there. I mean, that wasn't the only reason they started using the tombs, mm-hmm. as I mentioned. Yeah. But um, that was one of the big reasons is right. because of the water. It's but, a good, it's a good reason. Know, yeah. The first public cemetery was uh, on St. Peter Street, 1721. You said it closed in 1788 when a fire killed 1,200 people. That I mean, was the first of the great fires. Right. Jeez. Know? So, yeah. I mean, so they really had a need. Yeah. 1,200 yeah. people yeah. from a fire. Yeah. That was the first, that was the first fire that wiped out the, the French, well, the French Quarter, mm-hmm. essentially, which was really built by the French at the time. And they were all... You know, we, we've talked about all the architecture. This sure. was before the Spanish rebuilt everything. And then they had another one, you know, six years later. But the first one's the one that did, I think, the the, the, the death toll was the highest. That's great. Was it like yeah. a cow in a barn and that kind of no, thing? No, no, no. None no. of that? Wrong city. Right. Wrong city. Uh, so it's replaced by... Saint- no, that was the one that started, they thought the candles set on the altar started on fire, remember? Oh, and yeah. And then they wouldn't ring the bells because right. it was on Sunday and the monks wouldn't ring the bells. Oh, man. That's just terrible. Yeah. Uh, so it's re- that, that cemetery is replaced by St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. So we got a lot to talk about with that. That's a walled structure, main entrance on Rampart Street. It's believed that beneath the grounds of the cemetery, there are layers of bones several feet thick. That's metal, and I love it. Uh, the coffins floated out of the holes, like you said, even though they're putting stones and stuff on it. Uh, made funerals a somewhat terrifying affair, as you mentioned. Uh, let's and there's some firsthand accounts I yeah. did not include in this because some, those don't usually play very well on a, as far on a podcast. Yes. They're better for a book, but um, some of the firsthand accounts are you know, kind of funny, really grim, um, <laughs> really grim bodies and descriptions of bodies and all kinds of stuff. And so, so did this, did they, did they start doing this because like, so they were doing it in Paris pretty much. And yeah. so it's like that French yeah, kind they of were, They were the three reasons, mm-hmm. water, uh, fashion, fashion. Um, yeah. yeah. We, we've talked about, I think that we've talked about in the past, we've talked about Père Lachaise Cemetery. Yeah. 
and um, City of the Dead. Right. And they were building these mausoleums and stuff. And that kind of spread to other French colonies and to other colonies. And I mean, that's the reason we have the cemeteries that we have today, like the ones in St. Louis, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, Bell Fountain uh, yep. and uh, Calvary are both inspired by Père Lachaise and the garden cemeteries of France. So they wanted to do, you know, imitate that style and that fashion. And that's kind of where the tombs came from. Plus then, you know, you could also, the church could make more money. Yes. You know, and, and, and help spread the stories about uh. bodies popping up out of the ground because you would spend a lot more money buying a tomb. Mm-hmm. And so they were catering to the, you know, the wealthy Creole families uh, of the city. And that's mostly who, you know, ended up with the tombs, except for the, you know, we'll get to the wall vault here in yes. a minute. So Yes, yeah. It doesn't sound like the church to exploit an opportunity like that. <laughs> right, exactly. So you mentioned the tombs have two vaults. So bodies have to remain, there's two vaults. Bodies have to remain sealed in there for one year, which causes the one bodies One year and to, one day. One year and one day, right? Yes. Which causes the bodies to naturally cremate. So after 366 days, bodies are moved to the caveau, is that easy? Yes. Um, a chamber in the tomb's foundation. Um, that was something I learned when we went down there. I didn't realize it got that hot. I guess I didn't know oh, what yeah. the temperature needed to cremate someone i never thought about that well before. it's you know it, it's a it, fourth degree burn yeah yeah that's true okay well it, it really i mean you know in the summertime inside of those vaults mm-hmm. you know when they're talking about it being over 300 degrees yeah you know um i mean that was the whole idea is then you could just keep reusing mm-hmm. it over and over again it makes sense you can only put two bodies in it at once mm-hmm. because they only had two slots. Right. And they were worried Even about disease. Even though you might have a hundred people in your family buried in this tiny tomb that's not that much bigger than a, you know, two phone booths. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that, you know, you could have your entire family buried in there, but only only two at a time. Yeah, they got to die and at the right time. And everybody gets scraped down to the bottom. Right. And if so, yeah, you mentioned two family members died Who cares? A year. You're dead. Who you're, cares? You're dead. You know, yeah. so. But you could rent the space in the wall. Yes. And then you could be evicted. I love that. If you that. don't pay your rent. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you could be well, evicted. You know. Um, okay. You mentioned, wait, was the 10 foot pole thing you said, was that a joke? No, it wasn't. That's that's a real thing. It's thought that that might be where it It came came from. from. And also, there's also a possibility that because the at the back of those vaults, you know, they would push the people who didn't pay their rent, Mm -hmm. they would push their remains to the back and then they would drop down the shaft into the bottom. Yeah. Um, And that's also some people have also suggested that maybe where that phrase you know, getting the shaft came from. No too. shit. And I, I don't know about that, but they did used to use these really long, like rake type mm-hmm. yeah. poles and they were 10 feet long so that they could reach all the way to the back. Jeez. And then because they, you know, these guys didn't want to touch the stuff. Yeah, so I don't blame you them. wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. Now, I don't know if that's true, but it makes I mean, sense. But I didn't put it in there as a joke. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I put I it in there. It's legitimately suggested that might be the case. Got it. Okay. So then rich people started being rich people, build a bunch of monuments. Tallest monument in, uh, is the Italian Mutual Benevolent right, which Society. which was not rich people. That was no, a rich these people. Were the well, Italian, how, were, how did they build this big no, monument? Well, because what would happen is immigrants came to the city and, mm-hmm. and New Orleans had a huge immigrant population, an Italian immigrant population. Yep. And the they couldn't afford, they couldn't afford their own tombs. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they'd put all their money together into a benevolent society. Oh. And then that way they pooled money. They built this big tomb mm-hmm. and the, the Italian monument that's in St. Louis Cemetery one can actually hold up to a thousand people. That's crazy. Um, now, as far as I know, it's full. 
Um, mm-hmm. Plus, there I don't think there are any more benevolent societies, but um, it's it's huge. Yeah. You've seen it. It's yeah. gigantic. And um, there were, and as I mentioned, there were a couple of other cemeteries that were put up for police officers, a couple for fire, firefighters, yeah. firefighters, because, you know, firefighters back in the middle 1800s didn't make any money. Yeah. And there was no way these guys who died in the line of duty could possibly afford to be buried. So the benevolent society would not only help them be buried, but would provide, you know, it was the widow and orphans fund. Sure. Essentially. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, but that's what the, um, you know, that's what the Italian tomb is Got there it. in St. Louis Cemetery number okay. one. And it's, you know, it towers over everything mm-hmm. else there. It's a huge, huge monument. It's right next to uh, Nicholas Cage's pyramid. Oh, we're going to talk so, about it. Yeah. So I learned something today. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then there's, okay, I've never seen Easy Rider. Should I watch Easy Rider? Yeah, it's a, it's a, um, yeah, I mean, it's a classic of the time period. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, came out in the late '60s. It's um, it's a it was a counterculture kind of movie. You know, I mean, I could go into this long d- explanation of how it how Easy Rider and a lot of movies made at that time changed the entire course of Hollywood history mm-hmm. because this was the first time that the studio. Uh, you guys really have to know more about movie history. And I know Would Lisa's I like looking it? at me blankly. No, you wouldn't. I, I work I, in a movie website. Website. I know you do, but but the Hollywood system was always about putting out what these old guys who worked for the studios thought. Well, mm-hmm. in the late 60s, they started making the first independent films and they were aimed at young people, which had never been done before. These yeah. guys are trying to put out you know, Busby Berkeley type musicals that no one wants to see anymore. They want to see counterculture type movies like Bonnie and Clyde and Easy Rider and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so when this movie came out, everybody swore it would never get made. It probably would not have if Peter Fonda wasn't Henry Fonda's son. Mm-hmm. Um, but it came out and it was a huge success. Jack Nicholson, it's one of his early films. Oh, okay. Peter Fonda, Dennis Hopper. And it's about these two guys that are, you know, motorcycle gang, not gang, but they're kind of like motorcycle rebels mm-hmm. and they pick up Jack Nicholson and take him along for the ride. And it's, it's a statement about America at the time, but I mean, it's not, it's not one of my favorites. Yeah. I mean, if I have to pick one, I'm going to watch the wildly inaccurate Bonnie and Clyde that came sure. out, you know, but on the other hand, it's, it's cool to see. And then you could say you've seen one of the great classic American films and it, it's definitely it's time period, but Seeing the scene in the, the cemetery is cool. Mm-hmm. It's just like yeah. when you watch something and you recognize the yeah. places, it's fun to I'm watch. I'm still not going to watch it. You're not going to watch it. I'm you're a- not going to like it. I'm going to tell you right now, I know you're not going to like it. I'll so add it. It's about it. cars anyway. No, it's not. It's it's <laughs> two guys on motorcycles. Yeah. I'll so add then it. I really didn't want to watch it. No, no I offense. Know, but, I mean, but, uh, you should watch it. I'll add to the list. You should watch it. There's a scene in Big Daddy, the Adam Sandler movie, where he's at he's at a phone. That would not be a classic American film. I've seen that one. Yes, but he's on a at a phone booth and it was right around the corner from my apartment in New York City <laughs> yeah, so I, I watch cool? it just yeah. to be like hey I, it's I, cool to I, see I, it. I've yeah. cried on those steps before um, <laughs> yeah oh, also before I forget Invisible Man budget seven million dollars keep that in mind wow wow so good anyway let's talk about uh, probably one of like the coolest things about this the second line which I actually didn't know that was the name for it uh, until now but it's the it's a procession tradition inherited from West Africa and this is People I think call it a jazz funeral yeah that's yes what, that's what the common and, you know, name for it is, but the second line is the official name. Right. And if you, I mean, if you really want to see something that will really move you and break your heart at the same time mm-hmm. is to watch that series Treme. Okay. It's on HBO. There's only three seasons. It is 
phenomenal. Yeah. Is, but but some of the characters in it um, are members are are jazz players who mm-hmm. then play in second line okay. funerals and things as for hire. You know because mm-hmm. that's a job. I mean that's sure. actually a job for jazz players. And then it's a it's a great show. It's a post Katrina. Uh, show about New Orleans, and it is it it you'll learn more from watching that show than you'll ever hear from any news story you'd ever it, because it, they tried to keep it as accurate as possible. Sure, and it's it's one of my favorite series, but it's it's super dark. Yeah, I mean it's dark when you see the things that happened afterward, and they've tried to portray it as close as they can, and you'll learn a lot about the um, that what they called the Indians, who were the guys who. Um, the African-American guys that, that wear the big feather costumes mm-hmm. in like the Mardi Gras parades. Yeah. There's a, one of the characters, the big chief is one of those. You learn a lot in that show, but you'll learn a lot about the second line. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I can't, I can't recommend it enough if you are interested in New Orleans. Awesome. No, I'll check yeah. it out then. Uh, you said they start by playing slow songs and then they get more lively, right. um, which I, I love that. Here's, a, here's an example of a, yeah. of a not great movie. That's full of like racial stereotypes and it's not all good, Mm -hmm. but it's that it's the early seventies, James Bond film with Roger Moore's first one, live and let die. Okay. But if you want to see what a jazz funeral looks like this in this particular one, they're murdering people. So don't go by that, but you see the funeral coming down the street, playing the sad music and then they murder one of the spies and they drop his body in the street and they pick it up in a coffin and then they start playing happy music. Now, don't ignore all the assassination yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff, but at least watch that and it kind of gives you an idea. But really just watch Treme. Mm-hmm. It's so much better. So, All right. Yeah. You said, I love this quote. You said, handkerchiefs that have been used for tears become waving flags and everyone dances to the second line songs that are a celebration of the life that was. I'm going on record for this. Like, I want pizza and booze at my funeral. Right, right. Be sad, but then tell stories about like the dumbest thing I ever did yeah, or like the f- most fun we ever had. That's what it should be. Yeah. In my opinion, I think that's what it should be about. But, um, you know, and then I, I, I have a hatred of like the wedding ones and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't talk, understand so people, that. So, so that's the only one I've seen is actually we a wedding that, one. Yeah, right. When we were down but there. But you don't, you don't, you think it's like it's usurping stupid. the it's tradition or something. And it's corny and it's always white people. Well, yeah. And, and so it's like, it sounds like what us. Are you, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> you just on. told me that they have a parade for anything. Well, they do a parade for anything, but a second line, you don't want a second line. Uh, well, I don't. I don't want a second line parade for a wedding mm. or for, you know, a store opening or something. Yeah. I mean, they'll do like it for a branded anything. one. But I mean, this guy's got to I mean, this guy's got to work. I'm oh, not, sure. I'm not putting it on them. Yeah. I'm just saying that this seems like a really bad use of a really cool mm-hmm. custom. In my opinion. That's just my opinion. No, I understand. You said the tradition of second line came out of the French and Spanish allowing slaves to keep their tradition. So it's kind of like voodoo, essentially, yeah, right? We like ta- yeah, we talked about that. You know, in British colonies, that, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But with the French and the Spanish, they just kind of went, well, whatever. Yeah, right. yeah, it's better than asking for trouble. You yes. know, they just let it roll. So. Right. All right. Well, let's move on to some other cemeteries. Let's talk about St. Louis Cemetery 2. Sure. Home to a bunch of famous people. Yeah, quite a few. <laughs> you, you listed off, and people from our past episodes, um, like uh, Dominique Yu, Lieutenant of John Lafitte from our pirate episode. Right. Um, and then St. Louis Cemetery number three has a chef's corner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's yeah. Well, there's a, a row of mausoleums that are 
you know, all these families that have, you know, have been great chefs, like Chef Paul Prudhomme and mm-hmm. the Galatories and people like that are all in one section of the cemetery. Got so it's it. kind of cool. Yeah, no, that's fun. Know? So it was worth mentioning. And then the photographer from our Storyville right. episode buried and, there. And you skipped over Ernie K. Doe. Did I? Yeah. Probably. Mother-in-law, mother-in-law. Oh, you know that song? Mm, oh, I'm not, not ringing any bells. Okay, well, look it Cody, up on Spotify. can you Spotify. give me that cut for my new ring? <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Thank you. Look it up on Spotify. <laughs> Ernie K. Doe. I love it. It was a good six, early 60s song. Yeah, but Troy, you I just do a thought, whole cover. Yeah, but I included that because his wife, he was supposed to be buried in a family cemetery outside the city and mm-hmm. his wife stepped in and went huh if you're from new orleans you want to be buried right. in New Orleans." okay so i, do I remember included that. that and you skipped over i know it. i'm sorry i have to whittle it down Damn i know I but know, I, I, I did know. like that line though if you're from yeah. new orleans you should be buried in yeah. new orleans um moving on to holt cemetery home to buddy bolden from our jazz episode some buried in some unmarked grave yeah and so you said he became victim to acute alcohol psychosis yeah. um that's a thing that can yeah, happen it's a thing yeah that's he terrifying. drank himself to, Is that going to happen to me? You know, he probably had, that was a long time ago. He probably had something else wrong with him. Okay. But Freaking that was what they, that was what they blamed it on. It was uh, alcohol psychosis. And he did, he really did spend the last 24 years of his life and in the state asylum. Mm-hmm. And then he was buried in New Orleans, but in this cemetery, but nobody knows where. Mm. I mean, this is the guy that invented jazz. Yeah. There are two monuments for him in the cemetery, but no one knows where his body is. Which seems a shame. Yeah. It's like the Robert Johnson thing. There are two different cemeteries that claim Robert Johnson is buried in them, and no one really knows where. Yeah. And it's like, this is the guy who like invented the blues. It's like Buddy Bolton inventing, the, inventing jazz, and no one knows where he's buried. Yeah, so. that's sad. And then we have a bunch of random other people that you, you tossed in here. I mean, Graham ran, Parsons. Yeah, famous, famous people. Yeah, can we talk about that bizarre yeah, story? that's like the best story ever. Yeah, so, rem, okay, remind me of the story again. Well, so Graham Parsons was from the Birds, mm-hmm. Flying Burrito Brothers. It was a big deal, yeah. you know, in the in the pivotal area of the, you know, from the late 60s. Okay, I remember the okay? story. Yeah, keep going. So he died at 26. He overdosed on alcohol and morphine. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to be, to have his body cremated at Joshua Tree, right. where they used to go out and get high. Yeah. And that's where he wanted to be cremated. But his father was from, they were from New Orleans and his father said, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And had the, his casket shipped back to New Orleans. Well, he was at the airport and some of his buddies got in with, I'm sure help from someone in the baggage handling, um, took his coffin, drove it out to Joshua Tree, dumped gasoline on it, set it on fire. That's amazing. And they put so much gasoline on it that it made a huge fireball. Yeah. And so then the cops show up and they had a, it was a high speed chase involved and all kinds of stuff. That's but amazing. Anyway, they find him. They didn't get any jail time, but what's left of Graham then was sent to New Orleans. But Got it. so that's why I said some charred bits of him are yeah. in a grave at the Garden of Memory Cemetery. I so. had it in my head that it was like, uh, like Fast and the Furious situation or like a heist <laughs> where like they intercept no, no. the coffin no, and like, no, I was they very just curious. were trying to do what he wanted. And that's always been kind of a famous story about Joshua Tree. That's awesome. And then Mount, uh, is it Olivet Cemetery? Yeah. Uh, which has... Professor uh, Long here. Yeah, Professor Long here. I'm not familiar, but you said he's the Picasso yeah, keyboard he, he was a, a funk and blues guy. Got New it. Orleans, pretty famous in New Orleans, yeah. And then moving on, is it... I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Metairie. Yeah, Metairie Cemetery. That's where yeah, Josie Arlington yes. is buried. Right, right. so uh, great 
origin story from Charles Howard. Uh, basically, he's not allowed to play at this country club where the cemetery is now. He vowed that he would one day buy the club and turn it into a graveyard, and by golly, well, he fucking did. That's it. probably one of those stories. Sure, you know that's that's a great. Don't you know, let truth get in the way of this exactly, story. Exactly, okay? but it is a great story. You know, it is a great story. That, yes, you know. and, and that includes uh, Millionaire's Row, and like I said, Josie Arlington and General Pierre Gustave Beauregard um, from our previous episodes, and then. Bunch of other famous people. Is there anybody you want to talk about? No, I don't want to. No, Louis it. Prima, who you okay. know, jump, jive, and whale, and yes. just a yeah. gigolo, yeah. and all that. That That's, I know. He's buried there, and Ruth Chris is buried. Ruth, Ruth, fertile from that became Ruth Chris Steakhouse. She took over. You've heard of Ruth Chris Steakhouse? Right? I don't think so. Well, That's anyway, a person's name. It's a famous. No, her name. <laughs> it's like her it's a name restaurant. Was, no, her name was Ruth Fertel, and the Chris Steakhouse chain. Mm-hmm. But she got into it, involved in it, and it became known as Ruth Chris. Uh, okay. So there's one in Chicago, there's one in New Orleans. There's uh, And so I mentioned her because a lot of people would recognize the name. Got and, it. And then, of course, the guy that started Popeye's Chicken is buried there. Too. Oh, yeah. All right. You know, can't yeah. leave it out. Owen Brennan, you know. That's awesome. Jim Garrison, which, you know, from JFK, the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's Kevin Costner's character. Right, right, He's right. He's buried there. Okay. Let's go back to St. Louis Cemetery okay. 1. Uh, has... Nick, like you mentioned, Nick Cage's future tomb with lipstick marks and all, yeah. which I've seen. It's yeah. a giant white pyramid. Yeah. It's so obnoxious. It is really obnoxious. It's so, I think it's awesome. It's, well, he squeezed cool. it into a spot. It's like he took yeah. all of the possible available space they would let him take to put that pyramid I mean, he's in got there. the money. Well, well actually, no, I mean, yeah, yeah, he did, but, you know. That's true. He can, he'll still be buried there because it's his plot. He owns it. So. Yeah. And Remind then, me why there's a second one. There's a second one? Isn't there? Or there's a, a tomb just nearby that's also his. That's not the pyramid. Is there really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't mm-hmm. remember that. I don't either, but... I believe you. Yeah, I not? just don't remember. Yeah. I think I'd been on that tour so many times that I probably zoned <laughs> out. So. Well, you know, Heat it was stroke. so hot, too. I might have started telling <laughs> yeah, my own yeah, you're right. story, yeah. but I'm pretty sure I didn't remember it, that part. Well, well no. it could be. We'll have to check it out. I know about the pyramid, and I know no, about I the lipstick it, marks. I think it was purchased for... Someone in charity, but mm. oh, I see. But again, okay. I was really, really hot. And there's no shade. <laughs> yeah. Dude, and I, so no, there hot. Is, I was. Uh, we just would stand about like dead. up next to the taller tombs yeah. and try to get like a half foot of shade oh, that yes. we could. It no was breeze. miserable. It was mm-hmm. no, there's no, none. Yeah, no. None. That hot air just like the last time funnels didn't through. Go. I didn't. I just waited for everybody at the train <laughs> station. Yeah, it's yeah. like being the person at Six Flags that just holds everybody's <laughs> shoes while they're on the roller coaster. Ride or, yeah, doesn't want to ride the roller coaster. It was fine. I it didn't sounds mind. like so much fun. You were in the air conditioning. So, I know. Yeah. Uh, then we have Benjamin Latrobe, the guy who designed the Capitol Building in mm-hmm. Washington D.C. Homer Plessy, the Rosa Parks before Rosa Parks. Uh, so did this did this actually start the Jim Crow yes, laws? Okay. Yes, there was a case that became known as, and I didn't put this in here, but the case actually became known as Plessy versus Ferguson. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And it w- went to the Supreme Court, and that was when they ruled, which is, goes, again, goes to show you, as we're going to see, I'm sure, in coming years, just because the Supreme Court rules on it doesn't mean it's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they came up with separate but equal. Um, saying that it was okay to have segregation, uh, the Jim Crow laws. This is where it started. Okay. And it didn't get reversed until 1955, and that was Brown versus the Board of Education. Right. So for the next almost 60 years, um, segregation was ruled okay by the United States Supreme Court, mm-hmm. which, again, goes to show you judges are not infallible. No. So, no. Yeah. I hate that they just let them sit there until they die. Anyway. I know. There should be a different 
Wait, uh, we'll, we will get off of politics. So, but Protestant section has double layers of brick and large slabs designed <laughs> yeah. to hold down waterlogged yeah. coffins. Uh, and you mentioned earlier, legend has it 1800s visitors would hear people bobbing <laughs> up and down in there. Right. Um, so many as this happens with cemeteries, many of these bodies were supposed to be moved, but we know how that goes. And I just want to point out that like. Everywhere you go, chances are you're standing on dead people. Well, right, exactly. Especially, you know, in the early days of the city, I doubt that people were, you know, we know that the first cemetery didn't come along for years after the, you know, founding of the city. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm sure people were buried everywhere. Right. You know, and that's just the way it happens. I think about here even, I mean, we're in Alton right now, and I think about that parking lot, you know, back uh, behind, you know. The Civil War prison. Yes, just like, just parking on dead people. Well, and, you know, they moved them over to Garreau Street Cemetery, and then they were supposed to have moved them out in 57 and Mm -hmm. built the Superdome on top of it. Yeah, I I didn't know that. that was a funny story. You said the Superdome now stands atop these old burial grounds. Some football fans that have suffered through the first 43 seasons with the Saints claim that they were so terrible because they were playing on an old cemetery. Yeah, because the New Orleans Saints moved here, moved to New Orleans from Utah. Oh, really? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, that was where they started, right? Isn't that right? I cannot Maybe. believe you're asking me. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> football question. Oh, no, no, no. Football. You know what? I'm, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. That was the, That's the jazz. The Utah oh, Jazz yeah. used to be in New Orleans, and they moved to Utah, which makes no sense. It the does. Utah Jazz. Well, now you I'm getting it. my story mixed up, but apparently, when Wrong the sports ball. I know sports <laughs> ball. Look, they scored a goal. Shoot I don't. Poopies. Yeah, I know. Don't so, hate on sports. I know. I just don't know anything about it, but I just thought it was funny. That yeah. When the when the Saints first started, that that was the rumor that went around. Yeah. That they sucked so bad because it was a cemetery. So that is hilarious. They don't suck anymore, but yeah, that I no. do know. Yeah, that I do know. Was oh, it true? True Breeze? Is that right? I don't know. I don't know sports. I don't know. Anyway, um, let's move on from the cemeteries. Let's talk about some... Move go- on from sports. Go- <laughs> let's talk about some ghosts in the graveyard. Uh, Marie Laveau, of course. Yeah, we just, I gave her only a mention because we yeah. talked about that last episode. Yes, yes. So, yeah, ghosts been seen many times in the cemetery and also ghosts of the snake, which is opens up a whole other scary Okay, thing. yeah. I don't need... I hate snakes when they're alive. I don't really? need a ghost snake. You're scared of snakes? I'm terrified of snakes. Really? Oh, yes. This is in- hate interesting snakes. I don't even like to see pictures of snakes. Oh. I can't even watch them on TV. Oh, I mean, wow. I hate them. I'm I, don't, really, I mean, I don't like really I don't mind them. I'm terrified of snakes. Char- I respect that because I feel the same way about spiders. I know you do. Oh, yeah? yeah. So, Charlie Brockus, they used to have a tarantula and a python growing up. No. Oh. Yeah, yep. no thanks. I would always- think he's a pretend friend. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lisa doesn't think you're real, Charlie, by the way. Anyway. <laughs> I know I have met him once, but I like to. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's funny. Um, Henry v- Vig? Vignet. Vignet. Oh, Vignet. Okay. Yeah. Not, yeah 19th century yeah. sailor. His The papers for his plot were sold and uh, he returned back to New Orleans, died, but was shit out of luck. Uh, so visitors sometimes claim that they've encountered a thin, pale man with blue eyes who asks them where the Vignet tomb is located. That's heartbreaking. Uh, a man known only as Alphonse, is that mm-hmm. right? Who was murdered. Uh, but when visitors get Well, too, that's the story. Right. And visitors yeah. get too close to the Pinay tomb, he tells them to stay away. Other times he stops visitors between tombs, takes them by the hand, and asks them to take them home with them. That's adorable. That's creepy. That's adorable. Yeah, that's creepy. Anyway. Uh, Paul Morphy, a famous chess player, he retired at age twenty-three. Yeah, we, I, yeah, that's yeah, so he, young. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, you don't we'll have to elaborate. About, we'll talk about him more oh, okay. in the next episode okay. too. But okay. 
Yeah, that guy was nuttier than a fruitcake. Well, eventually, oh, is this the shoes guy? Nuttier than a fruitcake. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is the shoes guy. Yeah, yes. right. Okay, becomes extremely paranoid, um, as many smart people do. It sounded like, is this like a beautiful mind kind of I don't situation? know. He, you know, this was a guy who could win every chess match. And I mentioned in How the did next he do episode, I mentioned, because, yeah, he does a, in the next episode, I, I just, I had to throw, he's mentioned because of a location. Mm-hmm. So I threw in something I didn't include in this one, and he played like, eight matches at the same time while blindfolded, which How? sounds made up to me, I but get it. this is supposedly what he did because he was such a great chess player. But then by the 1870s, he completely lost his mind. Yeah. So, so. he runs through the French quarter one night, completely naked, waving an ax, threatening to kill anyone who tried to stop him. I think that sounds like a good time. <laughs> uh, he's found dead in his bathtub in 1884. He's only 43. Four, official causes of death was cardiac arrest. Um, but it, it, the official report says uh, jumping in a cold bath on a very hot day. But the official report made no mention of a collection of ladies' shoes that encircled his bathtub. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I don't know what that's about, but why it are, sounds bad. Why are really smart people always so weird? I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's some way that people's brain works. Yes. Like and then last but not least, this wouldn't be complete without our own <laughs> Resurrection story. Mary story or, or something. St. Louis Cemetery Mary. Yeah, you know? I think that honestly, a young woman hanging outside of a cemetery at night. It could have been any woman I've ever dated before. They all they all like to do that kind of stuff, you know? So I think some of these might actually have been real. But uh, yeah, so it's just, it wouldn't be complete without the those classic story. Um, you ready to move on sure. to some ghostwriter sure. stuff? All right, yeah. well, it's now time for our ghostwriter segment. If you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre, email us at AmericanHauntingsPodcast at gmail.com. Our first email comes to us from Sarah, and Sarah says, I'm loving your show, love the history, love the legends, heard about you guys from Astonishing Legends, really enjoying the New Orleans seasons. I also listen to a handful of other podcasts on the paranormal, one being Haunted Places by the Parcast Network. They recently did an episode on the Limp Mansion. I had already listened to your show's extensively researched episodes on the Limp family, so I settled in the, uh, so I settled into the Haunted Places episode, ready to call them out for any mistakes. Sure enough, they mentioned the boy kept in the attic that no. never existed. No. I'm sure they probably had a few other faux pas that I missed, thought you might enjoy checking it out. As the show's covered a lot of places in New Orleans that you guys are covering right now. I'm curious to go back and compare their episodes to yours. Separate history from uh, separate history from legends and rumors. Anyways, keep up the great work. I'll be investing in each of Troy's books in the near future. Thanks for a great show and uh, to make my compu- my commute less terrifying. I don't know if we make commutes less terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but it's I really not our appreciate goal, it. But you know, at least less boring, maybe. Yes. Um, <laughs> this one's from Reed. It says, "Good evening, gentlemen. I'm new to your podcast. Um, I've, I heard Troy on an episode of Astonishing Legends, and actually." This, there's going to be a lot here, but just give me a second. Uh, I heard Troy in an episode of Astonishing Legends preparing uh, to settle into season four. Uh, I did not listen to, in order, so I'm glad uh, I waited to email you. I think your format is brilliant and find every episode to be both educational and super fun. I love the friendly banter and all of Cody's queries. I truly enjoyed all of your side episodes with guests, short stories, and movie reviews. Thank you. Though you did not mention the changeling in the movie episodes. Hold on. It says, Troy, <laughs> Troy did mention an episode from season one. I know this is all a matter of opinion, but the changeling is definitely deserving of a spot on the list and one of the best go movies of all time. I went through the list of Troy's books, getting ready to bulk up my library. I've been recommending you to all my friends um, that cannot leave a review because I don't have iTunes. Is there another place or format um, I can give you five stars with the insane amount of knowledge in Troy's head? I think you should consider a 50 states kind of thing and then tell him his favorite story from each state. Thank you for your wonderful podcast. Keep the fun coming. 
Then a follow-up email <laughs> said, dear gentleman, again, I love the gentleman. Yeah. I'm like, who are you talking to me? Yeah, right. It says, I emailed you last night to tell you how much I love your podcast, but I gave you a little grief about the movie episodes. Total honesty, I was talking to a friend about the episodes and discovered that I had missed three episodes in season two. And one of the episodes I missed was the ghost Our movie, ghost episode, movie episode, where you addressed yeah. every single movie I was shocked <laughs> got no mention in your other movie episodes. I felt the need to email you and let you know. I'm curious, I'm curious where you stand on the movie Audrey Rose. Um, I haven't seen that movie, but I appreciate yeah. the follow-up. What do you think about it? It's okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a product of its time. Sure. You know, it's a seventies, you know, Yeah. and and that can be good when it's the omen or sure. the exorcist, but sometimes they don't age well. Yeah. And that, That's not fair. terrible. That's it's fair. It's not terrible. I don't dislike it. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks for writing in and thanks for writing in again. Um, I really appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, real quick, just have a couple of Patreon shout outs. So I just wanted to give a shout out to our new subscribers. That's Dixie, Well, and Mary. So thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. That's all I got. All right. Well, I guess then that's it. So good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, Get in touch if you have any ideas, suggestions, show ideas, anything like that. So until next time, uh, I guess goodbye. So long and see you in this episode of American Hongs Podcast. It's written by (laughs) Troy Taylor. It's produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. In each bi-weekly episode, we try to combine history, folklore, legend, imagination, and the truth to reveal more about America's most haunted places, strange tales, and unexplained events. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows and at AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com where we have show notes, more info about the episodes, and links to more from American Hauntings. Because American Hauntings isn't just a podcast, it's books and tours and events and more on our main website at AmericanHauntings.net. And if you want even more from us, you can be a supporter of the podcast on Patreon. You get bonus episodes of the show, t-shirts, discounts, great stuff in the mail, and more. Yes, thanks to our supporters, we've upgraded our equipment for the show. And with continued help from you, we can dedicate more time and resources to creating even more shows in the future. Take a minute and check it out. We think you'll like what you find at Patreon.com slash AmericanHauntings. Be sure to get in touch if you have any comments about the show, suggestions, reviews, jokes, or just want to tell us what you really think of us. We're reachable via email on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Carrier Pigeon, a bunch of different places. Telegraphs. Telegrams. uh, Messages in a bottle. Uh, messages written on convicts thrown from airplanes. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the, uh, oh, yeah. Like nah. the Con Air. Con Air. Skywriting. Skywriting. Yeah. Um, All of those things. Sidewalk chalk. Oh, they, that's a good one. Yeah, we'll come up that with one new down. stuff. Yeah. Anyway, until next time, goodbye, so long. See you later. See ya. Ugh. Another one down. Yep. I don't realize how loud I'm talking. <laughs>